All right, so welcome back to the Jason and Peely Project. Super excited for today's show. We have Bruce Bullitt on the show. Hey, Bruce, how you doing? Hey, fantastic and improving. Thanks for Great. having me on. Look, well, I'm glad we got to put this together. We were actually able to connect a few weeks ago, and I just said, man, we have to chat on the podcast. I just enjoyed the conversation so much. And Bruce is the founder, visionary, and owner of Bakerson. And growing up in the bakery business in the Twin Cities in Minnesota, Bruce wanted to pay homage to his late father, hence the name Bakerson. After trying a few different ventures in Minnesota, Chicago, and Phoenix, he finally found his passion in real estate and has a proven track record of success through Bakerson's nearly 18 years in business with thousands of individual unit brought, repositioned, and sold. Bruce has overseen all aspects of the business, including operations, acquisition, project leadership, equity fund management, property-specific uh, syndications, legal, finance, and more. He was focused on finding good deals and his passion is serving the residents by providing them with one of their basic human needs, shelter. So, Bruce, I love it. I love it being on the show. And, you know, one part here that's been great is now that you, you actually have, um, I believe, your son or, or a few of your sons working for you as well. Is that correct? Yeah, I've, I've got a son, a son-in-law, and a brother-in-law. Who, uh, who worked with me. And now um, we picked up a rental, a small little house in Southern Arizona down by the border. And my daughter and her husband are going to clean it up and get it ready for rent and they're gonna manage it. So yeah, we keep it in the family. Oh, I love that. And that, that's that's so key, right? Because when you can do something that you love and then also have your loved ones to, to work with you, I, it just it just changes the, 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 the dynamic of the business, right? Because you spoke too about providing tenants right with with their basic community and shelter and when you can do that and work with your family to great and create better communities i it really just it just it, it takes it to that next step right yeah and it's very important it's it's a challenge you know, it could be a challenge if you don't set it up right that in our business we uh when we're at work we talk about work when we're at home we talk about home so we don't bring our business to the home to the dinner table or the coffee table or over the weekend and make decisions it's completely separated uh, my son and son-in-law we're, we're avid bikers road and mountain bike and we get out together a few times a week um so we, we we work together play together and we've even taken vacations together and so it's uh it's, it's really it's a really cool dynamic and i'm very blessed to have the people around me that i do now was that a learned habit where you said okay we're, we're we got to make sure from the that we're separating work and, and and play because so many times i see family and business become family business that there's really no clear line, right? So, and that carries over to the home space where, where so many times, especially now people do have a small business and they have to work from home where there, there's almost no way to separate their day from that and have that divide. How did you put that first into place? Well, I grew up in a family business in Minneapolis and, and my dad, um, I worked for my dad and he never brought the bakery business home. We never discussed decisions about it. We, you know, generally speaking about the joys of working in a bakery and that, but we never talked or made any decisions at home that were meant to be made at the office or at the bakery. So he was very good at keeping it separate. So I adopted that, that principle and that practice um, because I loved that we could be at home and the, the challenges at work were forgotten. Or we could be at work and the challenges at you know, home being, I started working at 11 with him and being a teenager, you have your rebel years where you, you resist authority and kind of go against what the parenting is. But at work, it was never, it was never, you know, he always treated everybody with dignity and respect, like the utmost respect. And then if there was issues, he never brought the home issues to work or the work issues to home. So I thought, man, that's just really a, a great concept, a great principle that I, I, um, I adopted myself. Now, you, fact, you I have told, 
I have told family members that, hey, if, if our business gets away in of our relationship, one of us has to go. We're not going to have this um, just detract us from our from our personal lives and puts tension amongst family if if it doesn't work out. I'd rather be family than, than employer, employer, business partners. The family is before the business. And you know, that's so massively important because so many times you see relationships get strained because of something that, that when we look back, are, are we gonna remember these little petty things that may have been something in business? And are we gonna allow that to really destroy our relationship, right? Destroy family, destroy blood and can. And so to be able to do that and set that up from the beginning, right? Make that clear in the beginning that, you know, if it's gonna become between us, something's gotta go and it's gonna be the work right? that 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 speaks volumes. When did you first transition into the, the multifamily or real estate space? You, you were coming from, you said you worked with your dad in, in the bakery business, then you um, came up with a number of other ventures that you tried. Do you remember if there was one pinnacle moment when you said, well, let me try this and it stuck? Well, yeah, it, when I um, when I was working in the bakery business, it was uh, it, working for my dad, working in that was, there was a lot of joy and a lot of fun in that work, but the advancement was was not great because there was there were relatives who were ahead of me um, with years, years of service experience and skills that I didn't have. And I wanted their position. I wanted to be in leadership. But it was pretty crowded as we headed into management because they were very qualified for running the business. And I was young, energetic, and I said, you know, I'm just kind of stuck. So I tried many different positions at the bakery, everything from cake department to baking to production to working in the store to, to managing the logistics of delivery systems, internal and external. And just went to my dad and said, Dad, you know, you said that if you don't love what you do every day for your for work, that you should look for something different. Well, I found something different and I got into at that point, executive recruiting. And that was a very exciting, fast paced world. And I tripled and quadrupled my income from what I was making at the bakery to um, yeah. headhunting or executive recruiting. Did that for four years, two years in Minneapolis, two years in Chicago. But then I got bored at that. It was, you know, 200 dials a day, you know, 20, 30 conversations a day. And it just, it was, there was no, um, there was no, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's no annuity to it. Yeah. Yeah. Annuity. It was a lot of fulfillment because I helped people find, get into really good positions. I made that match, which was awesome. You know, bringing people together to lead impactful lives is my why. And that's what I was doing there. But the, t the process, the guy I worked for, this, things were not the best. So I said, you know what? Try something different. Came to Phoenix, tried medical sales. Uh, that didn't go so well. So then I did medical device sales. Then I tried, um, uh, I had a drug education business, did that for a year, and then that just broke even after a year. I said, you know, it's just not going to work. It was a great concept, just timing was off in my mind. And then that, then I got into tax lien foreclosures, and I said, hey, this is exciting. Everywhere you go, there's real estate, and, and we were buying properties for pennies on the dollar. But then I, when I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I found out that, hey, you can buy properties with other people's money. And I said, oh, that's a great concept. So then I picked up a... a three houses, a triplex and a duplex in a, just a few months time. And it was like, man, this is great. How can we scale this? Well, my other business partners are still, who are still very good friends, we were all doing it part-time. And I told Gary, the guy that I was doing tax lien foreclosures that, listen, I like what I'm doing, but I'm gonna go out on my own. I wanna do my own thing. And he, he, he said, oh, that'd be awesome. Go ahead, you know, knock yourself out. So then um, I went full-time with uh, my business partner, Jack at that time, Jack Martin, and his dad uh, worked he, his dad and my dad worked together for my grandfather in the Willett Bakery wow. in the 60s. So there was a connection there from way back then. 
And Jack and I were business partners for 14 years and really, really good friends yet to this day. Uh, very lucky. And, and one thing I want to share that people ask, how do you have a business partnership that lasts? And then when you end, you're, you're probably better friends than when you began. And I said, sure. forgiveness, we, we never went home angry. We always settled our issues before we went home. So we went home in peace. And that's anything I advise people, even to their employees, never go home angry. If you have an issue with an employee, deal with it before you go home. So that's kind of a thing that I, I've, I've not always been perfect at, but that's something that I've wanted to practice day in and day out, that we never go home angry. You know, that message carries through, right? Because you spoke about how the family environment is that same way, right? You, you make those clear delineations of what a partnership is, right, before you go there. Because if you, if you bring something home, right, it doesn't get better with that. It's better, it, the hard things are hard to deal with, hard to say, but they're much easier to deal with it right away than to let it linger with you for, for you know, even if it's hours or, or sometimes months, depending on, on what it is, and then try and bring it back, right? Because you, you've you allowed so much to fester and you, you, you can't let it go. But when you can deal with this and just say, let's just get it out there. It's not comfortable, but, but it's better to be on the table and to have this resurrected so tomorrow we can start fresh. And, You've done this now with, with your business and, and you've allowed yourself uh, to grow into where you are today. How, how are you looking at your business today and, and those those ventures that you did, the, the jobs that you did, which is sometimes it's great to, to try everything, right? Because you, you can find out what you don't want to find what you want. And when, when you're looking at how you're operating today, how are those um, you're working in medical device sales, working, of course, uh, for your father in, in, in the bakery business, how have those experiences led uh, to help you with your business and your, of course, your current venture today? Um, well, probably the biggest lessons that I that I had were the four years um, executive recruiting. My um, the boss at that time was an awesome trainer, incredible person, in teaching people that you get up. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. What are you doing today? And what are you going to do tomorrow? Um, he'd always ask, what's next? Like, you'd come up with a great, hey, this is what I did today. He says, okay, that's good, that's good. Okay, what's next? What else you got? It would always like, catch me off guard. Like, well, uh, uh, you know, he says, well, if you don't have anything in your pipeline, you're not gonna have anything tomorrow. You gotta keep the pipeline full. And so that's, that's true in our business, trying to keep the pipeline full and always having that push. Uh, you and I talked briefly previously about the book Grit, and that's what you need. You need more than perseverance, it's grit, something to get you over that hump. And the very visual experience that I use is I'm an avid mountain biker. I was out this morning, did about 13 miles on the trails here around Phoenix. And there's, when you're mountain biking, you're getting up a hill. When I first got going, I get to the, to the top of a hill and I just barely get up there and I'd stop and I'd rest and you coast on the other side. And I realized that if you give your the pedal, you know, two or three extra turns, you're up and over the top, then you can rest on the downhill. I was like, hey, that's grit right there. That's doing a little bit extra. And it really wasn't that much more effort, but yet the result was much better. Setting new PRs every day and in those little personal competitions that I have. So those type of things to me are very, very important. So follow through is, is very, is anybody that's in real estate, follow through, don't give up too soon. But then also, don't wait too long on a dead deal. You, if they're dead, be quick to walk away. And that's one of the my secret sauces, walk away power. If we have an issue, I'm willing to walk away from it. If we have a, a deal we don't like, I'm willing to walk away from it. And brokers don't like that because they like to be in control. But I'm like, hey, yeah. we've got the money and the plan. If you're a broker bringing the thing together. We decide if it's a yes or a no. You can do your sales pitch, but in the end, we have that power to walk away. 
why do you think it's so hard for people to do just that? And you can go on both sides, just the grit, just doing that little bit extra and that's gonna get you to further along the road or just making the hard decision like potentially walking away from a deal that, that sometimes you get too vested in as, as a buyer. Well, human nature is to try to make something work when it, it when it's it's not going to work. We, we, we want to have that fulfillment. And the, probably the biggest issue on, on following through is doubt. Like if people don't follow through, let's say they're looking at a deal and then they say, you know what, that's too big. I, I have this self-worth. No, I can't do a 200 unit deal. I've only done 120. So 200 is too big. And they have this, this uh, noise, this self-talk in their head. That's yeah. one of it. And then on the other side, or if you're so confident you can do this deal, but the numbers don't work, if you try to make those numbers work and, and say, okay, instead of selling at a six and a half cap, we're gonna sell at five and three quarters cap. You don't decide what cap rate you sell at, the market does. But you see people present that in that way, that yeah. you know, three years from now, we're gonna sell at this cap rate. They don't know, it's a projection. So they put the best case scenario, oh, now the numbers work. I just tweaked the spreadsheet, they work good, but they're gonna get burned in the end, unless the market continues to rise. Because rise, like I've said, we've done really well in the rising market. The ri rising market covers a lot of errors. It's yeah. really the truth. Where it comes out is when the market starts to flatten or go down is when the proof is there. So be conservative. So the biggest thing I think is self-doubt and then the emotional that right now we have lack of inventory. They want to force something to work that doesn't work. And, and it could be a relationship. They think about your human relationship. You might have a, a friendship that you're, you're trying to get to work, but what, every time you get together, you clash like oil and water. At some point you say, you know what? This person is really not helping me. I'm not helping them. We need to step away for a bit. Same yeah. thing with the deal. Step away for a bit. Look at it objectively. You know, what I see many times when someone's trying to buy an early deal or the first deal is that they just want to get that deal so bad that you'll, you'll be willing to round the corners, right? Just because, because um, oh yeah, of course we can continue to get these rent increases or we'll be able to, you know, capture um, you know, the, the rent bumps you know, all in year one, even though there's leases. And it's such a key point there is that you, you, for sustainability and for having longevity, right? You, you, it's, it's not about making that one decision now, it's accumulation of all the decisions you're gonna make and how that's gonna go. And multifamily itself is, is a long play, right? These are not something where you're jumping in and out of um, a project within a week or a month or generally a year, right? And so many times when you do that and you look at your plan, how have you adapted and pivoted along the way as you've been in a market like Phoenix that, that's been, um, I won't call it topsy-turvy, but it, you know, it's it, at many times boom or bust. And we have had a, a history of boom and bust here. Now, um, I'm, I'm not a great prognosticator, and uh, I'll tell you why uh, why I say that. Um, we had we had started in houses. We had done over 2,000 transactions in the single family. Uh, and went retail with maybe a dozen, so they were they were in and out. Average hold time was 52 days. Average flip was uh, 5,800 bucks. So it wasn't a lot of money per deal. We left a lot of meat on the bone and we just turned our deals really, really fast. Sometimes within, within, we'll send an email, within an hour, it sold to a person sight unseen because we had a track record of selling good product, leaving meat on the bone, people trusted our numbers. So we did that, but when that market shifted, every cycle that we went through, we had a six month period where it was, we, were, we were almost dead in the water because the market was peaking, everybody was getting into it. We didn't adapt with technology, which could be a whole nother, podcast on adaptation to changing times and so we didn't adapt to technology we were the boots on the ground the people in the field well technology replaced a lot of what we brought in value to the to the transaction title insurance uh, you know hard money lenders um, 
contractors a whole bit. Pretty soon they had systems out there. You go online and you could just make your bid, 100% financing, $1,200 fee, title insurance included. It's like, we just couldn't compete with that in our, with the way we set up our business. So we said, hey, let's start. What else can we wholesale? We could wholesale anything from airplanes to airports. So what, what, what can we do? And so we looked, we said, hey, multifamily, here's some deals. And we did a couple dozen, 20, 25 uh, multifamily transactions. And we, and we said, and then we got a guy call us and say, hey, um, can you guys raise capital for us? We're like, sure. So we went out and raised some capital. We had 21 days to close on a property, 100. Well, that was our second deal. First deal was 64 unit. We closed that one, which was um, which is a fascinating transaction because we, there's a Wells Fargo loan and, and there was a due on sale clause. And instead of buying the property, we bought the LLC. So it's a little wow. trade secret. If anybody wants to know how to do that, they can reach out to me afterwards. It's, sure. it's a good way to get around the, the defeasance and due on sale clause with regards to uh, lending. You can, you can get involved, you have to keep the owner in and there's things you have to do, but it's it was to us, it's like, well, that was that was awesome. Went well, 120 unit, we had to raise a couple million bucks in uh, 21 days and we did it. It was like, wow, that was fun. So those type of things, that's how we got into it. And these, these partners were good, but not great that we partnered with. It was a group of total about seven of us, I guess, involved, but just, it was okay. It was a great experience, but we wanted to branch off. And so we picked up a couple other buildings and my business partner, Jack, at that time said, you know, he really wanted to get into mobile home parks. I wanted to stay in apartments. We went different ways. Still, like I said, we left, we started as friends. We left as better friends. He's doing mobile home parks across Arizona. We're doing apartments in Phoenix and Tucson. So that pivot that I was getting at is that we see the market shifting and we got to Phoenix, we're buying these properties. And we said, you know what? I think the market's peaked. So we're gonna try Tucson. So we went down to Tucson and we did six projects in Phoenix and we've done 11 in Tucson. Wow. And now we look, look back at Phoenix, we're like, well, I guess it didn't peak. It's almost doubled in the last five years. So we probably should have stuck it out. However, we did well in Tucson. So we, you know, it was a great experience. So now we're looking back in Phoenix, but we're looking at a lot different. Um, and I don't know if you want to get into that now, but the, the legacy hold is something that's a lot different. We've always been in and out as fast as we can. First, it was within yeah. hours, and then 52 days, and then 12 months, and then 36 months was our longest hold. Now, where, where do we go from there? Let's go to, how do we do a 10-year hold? How do we do an indefinite hold? Yeah, you know, and this just carries through your message, right? It's, it's not so much of, ah, uh, we can't. It's just, what's next? How can we? What is served right now? What is another option we can do with that, right? And when you, you're in real estate and you understand that message instead of getting stuck with your feet, you know, in, in, in quicksand or in concrete where you just are trying to force a plan down there, you, you're just looking at that next step and just saying, okay, what else can we do? And it goes back to, to um, your sales trainer, right? Just saying, what's next? And just keep constantly keeping on the move. And that's that's amazing, right? And that that's where we learn those little parts because you take that in and it may, at that point, you know, when he was probably asking you to come with this great day and he was uh, saying, you know, what's next? And it may even have been frustrating. Because you're like, I just follow this great stuff and you want the next thing. But when you, you apply that in your life on that part, that's an ever-changing life and an ever-adapting ever future, right? And it's amazing yes. that you put this through with you and your family. And so um, before I let you go, I, I just I want to I want to know what are, what are some of your avid reader? Uh, I actually mentioned the, the book Grit. You had it the next day and, and you, you jumped on and read it. What, what are some books that, that have, and for me, it's adapting, so it doesn't have to be one, but is there something that you go back to a lot if you find potentially you're going off base from your key principles? 
Um, well, there's there's one book that I've got. I rarely read a book more than once, and occasionally, you know, sometimes twice. But there's one that I have either read or listened to on Audible. This book I've done, I've read it cover to cover three times, and I've listened to Audible twice, and I'm ready to do it again. And this is by far the most impactful book for me personally. So if you're an avid sports fan, so if there's an avid sports fan that's listening, they're gonna. This is one that I'd reckon. It's called Relentless by Tim yeah. S. Grover. And it talks about the first time I read it, I was like, you know, that I don't like what he's doing because all he cares about is the outcomes, doesn't care about the personality. But then as you read it, you realize that you don't have to take everything that somebody says in the pipe. You take those bits and pieces that you can own. And the thing that he talked about was where you have to, same thing in grit, you have to compromise. What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to do? There's a, there's a, a um, in grit, they didn't call it giving up, it was a trade off. There's a lot softer term. Yeah. What's the trade off? If I'm going to work, when I'm working 70, 80 hours a week, I'm not at home. When I'm at home, I'm not at work. What's the trade-off? If I decide, hey, I want to work more, then I have to give up family life, right? Or or, or now I've been biking. I try to get out between 60 to 90 minutes a day on a, either mountain or road bike. What am I willing to give up? Well, I gave up evenings of social life with the buddies. I go to bed early and I get up before sunrise and by sunrise it's getting later and later a little frustrating because the sun doesn't get up till 6 30 and i want to so now I'm, some days i'm under the headlight i'm you know i'm gonna get out mm-hmm. first thing in the morning so what are you willing to trade off i gave up evening with the buddies on weeknights i'd go out you know once or twice a week and hang out with the, and i realized that yeah that was fun but what is the benefit to me long term i can do that when i'm retired if i ever retire you know and it's that that message there it just rings true if we could all adapt that in our life, the world would be a substantially better place instead of just fighting and keeping to your guns. What is the most important factor in yourself here? What, what carries the most part and, and where do we compromise because it's for the greater good? So Bruce, loved having you on the show. This is awesome. I'm glad we got to connect a few weeks ago. Uh, glad we were able to talk you know, through Ruben, which was awesome, amazing connection for that. What's the best way for people to connect with you, learn more about yourself, Bakerson, yeah, before I do that, one last message that I, I, I want to mention that we're getting into legacy ownership, but not legacy as in self-promotion. People talk about legacy being something that they can leave behind. To me, legacy is something you can transfer to the next generation because I don't care who you are, you're loved for one generation, you're known for two and forgotten in three. Wow. How many people know their great-grandfathers? Mm-hmm. You know, they don't, right? So you, it, it's really where it is. So the thing is, what can you do for this current generation and, and teach them something they can carry on to the next the next? And it can be a family legacy, not a Bruce legacy. It's not about me. It's about the collective whole. And the, so to reach me, um, I encourage people to call or text me. And my cell is 520-808-9111. Wow. And then bakerson.com, B-A-K-E-R-S-O-N.com. Because I'm, I'm an SOB. I'm a son of a baker. And then uh, email is bruce at bakerson.com. Bruce, I love this. This is awesome. And, and yeah, legacy, it, it does carry through. And it, that, that, that rings true, right? It's, you, you think back, what message can you leave to help people carry forward? Highly inspirational. I knew I'd, I'd love this conversation. Thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you. And I look forward to, uh, to building and growing our relationship. I, I felt a lot of synergy when we've talked. And even through the emails, it's been awesome. So thank you so much. And I look thank forward you. to where this journey takes us. Sounds awesome. And everyone listening, thank you. We'll talk to you next time. Join us for your second cup of coffee every Monday through Friday at noon. Live every day, bringing us our best content we've done so far. Super excited, super engaging. 
bunch of great guests. We're here to answer your questions and we so appreciate you listening. Make sure to check us out. Can't wait to see you.